Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. Hello there lovely people. I bet you're as excited as I am for today's podcast. Let's jump into the podcast in a minute. But first, I want to tell you a story. I recorded this podcast while I was in India discovering various energy hotspots and trying to wrap my head around ancient Indian medicine and some of the practices and ideas that I can bring in to the western world. Now the trip was great and amazing and I'm looking forward to sharing all my discoveries through this podcast and other social media channels. But there was a downside to it which was that I couldn't travel with all my equipment and my studio all the way to India. And that, ladies and gentlemen, resulted in a slight drop in audio quality, which you might come across in today's show. Regardless, all the information is clear and what we talk about in the podcast is gold. So let's jump right into the podcast. If you find yourself complaining about things all the time, then someone would have had the guts to tell you, hey, go get a therapist. But when you look for a therapist, most therapists will only share some theoretical knowledge with you because that's what they have learned from in their coursework and their books. I believe the most effective approach is always taken by someone who has fixed their own self first. So today on the show, I am bringing to you an expert who was hit by lightning at the age of 15 and has clinically flatlined multiple times. She holds a master's degree in education and has studied medical neuroscience, visual perception, brain and neurobiology. She has written seven books on neuroplasticity and stress management. She is also the founder of the Neurosculpting Institute and has trained a huge audience, which includes corporate leaders to FBI and the Secret Service. Lisa Winberger, welcome to the show. It's great to be here talking to you today. It's my pleasure to have you on board today. So tell me, did I pronounce your last name correctly? Is it Wemberger? It was perfect, perfect. You're one of the few that actually said it correctly. Well, I was thinking about it twice. Should I pronounce it this way or that way? But I'm glad I got it correct. Now, Lisa, yes. one of the reasons that I wanted to bring you on the show today was because you have one of the most unique stories I've ever heard. So talk to me about your story and your background. How did you find neurosculpting? Yeah, um, it. even when I tell the story, I feel like it's somebody else's life because it's so crazy. Um, I was hit by lightning on my birthday when I was 15 years old. Um, a, a few of my friends and I were out. It was summer. A storm came in and it started um, raining and hailing and lightning. And we took cover under um, somebody's, you know, porch on their house. And I was standing up against a metal garage door handle. So there was a metal bar at mm -hmm. the base of my spine and the side of the house got hit and it came out through the metal handle. It came out through me and the boy who was standing next to me. And I didn't really know what happened, to be honest. I 
remember sort of opening my eyes. I was in the dirt. My friends were looking at me and they were all screaming. You were hit by lightning. You flew through the sky. I mean, I was probably about three or four feet away from the garage door. So I was thrown pretty far. Um, but I was conscious and I had a lot of pain in my back, but I didn't really believe them. I, I wh Whoever believes they've been hit by lightning. But uh, my watch had stopped right at the time I got hit. And I thought that was strange. But what really became strange was very soon after I was hit, I started having, um, I started fainting and losing consciousness at random times. Um, this progressed and these blackout phases became seizures. Um, these seizures became life-threatening where I would have a seizure and my heart would stop and my brain would shut off and um, you know, multiple occasions, the paramedics had to come. And one time in a doctor's office, I had a seizure and they were going to, in, they had a needle of atropine ready to inject it into my heart. That's, that's what you would do to resuscitate. Um, and they told me I flatlined, that I had no heartbeat. And uh, I was tested for epilepsy. I was not epileptic. And um, it turns out, the diagnosis I got was that I had um, a maladaptive cranial nerve, the, the nerve that runs the, the heart, the lungs, the organs, the most primitive part of our nervous system was not working correctly for me. It was um, very sensitive, uh, particularly to stress. And I was told that I had a stress-induced seizure disorder, which I had never heard of before. And that's what started my path to learning neuroscience, because I had to understand what was happening in my brain, what was happening with my 10th cranial nerve, and how can I use neuroscience information and neuroplasticity to condition my nervous system differently so that I could adapt to a different response rather than a seizure response to stress. And, and that was really how the journey started. So you had to literally get hit by lightning to get all yes. of these things done. Now, when I think of that story, this is why uh, people who are listening, I said that this story is unique because the last time you probably heard the story or like imagine this story, it's probably in an X-Men movie or something where a person gets hit by lightning and then gets some kind of a superpower. And Lisa, after reading your work and seeing what you do and how you make difference in other people's life, I beg to differ that this is some kind of a superpower. You know, I, I would like to think it was all for a really important reason. Um, I have to say that I'm I'm a very intelligent person, but I'm clearly a very slow learner. And I had to get hit by lightning to learn how to talk to my nervous system. <laughs> so um, what I discovered was that we're really not victims to the degree we think we are. I mean, so much of life might seem unfair, might seem terrible things happen to good people and none of that feels good or feels fair. But what I learned through, through learning neuroscience 
is that we actually can change how the nervous system responds to all of life's unfairness. And that gives us back the power. So I would say that the superpower I got was the power of choice. And that power of choice led to me feeling like I am the one in charge of my life, even when bad things are happening and they're not fair and I cannot control them. Well, very well said. I think um, that power of choice resides in each one of us, but normally we're always so blindfolded by everything that is going around in our environment and the way we have been conditioned. And um, it's mostly like we are in a tunnel vision in which mm -hmm. we're so focused on achieving the end goal or achieving you know, the house, the car, the promotion. But we tend to just not look at other things which are around. Now, when you speak about the power of choice, one thing that came into my mind was a question that uh, was came up when I was reading your book, which was which I wanted to ask the audience today, and which is that everyone who's listening to this, do you think that you're going to be waking up tomorrow morning? Now, this is a strange question to be asked on a podcast, and I'm sure everyone is screaming, of course, yeah, I will. But can you say it withholding any evidence or proof? I don't think so. Now, this is not to bring a strange vibe in our podcast atmosphere, but one of the studies that I was reading in 2017, about 150,000 people like officially die. And it's sad, but it is true. Life has no guarantee. So understanding the concept of choice and relating it with this, like you every day, since you're alive, you can have a choice to be the best version of yourself and do something rather than becoming, as Lisa rightly mentioned, a victim or just being just worried about what's going to be happening next. So Lisa, I wanted to get some of your take on this as well, because this is mm -hmm. something that's been so powerful when I, when I was, because I asked myself this question and now I look at everything that holds me back and everything that I keep on saying that, hey, I'm going to do this tomorrow because I have enough time and, you know, I'm into the anti-aging and the longevity thing. So I have a couple of years. So I'm going to do this tomorrow or day after or next week. And it keeps getting pushed, pushed, pushed. And what happens is you subconsciously are giving these scripts to your nervous system and to your brain that, hey, this is not important right now. And then it gets pushed and pushed and pushed. And the next thing you know, you develop some kind of like a negative attribute towards it or when the time really comes, you don't have the, you don't have the kind of encouragement, faith, or the confidence to do something like that because you've pushed it so back. So Lisa, just wanted to get your take on that. Yeah. You know, we are paradoxes. Human beings are living paradoxes because our brains need to be able to predict the future so that we can reach for behaviors that we've already learned that work. So if you're learning how to walk, right, you need to um, focus so much that you learn that so well that you no longer have to think about it. You are predicting in all moments at a very subconscious level how to move your body. And you do this and you trust that you will remember tomorrow how to move your body just like you did today so you don't have to think about walking. But we do this with everything. 
we get in we get into the need to predict and that allows us to assume things so we can spend our energy learning other things so we assume that the sun will rise tomorrow so we don't have to worry about it we assume that i will go to sleep tonight and wake up tomorrow and carry on with my list or the things that i didn't finish today and that's a gift to make those assumptions because it allows us the capacity to think about other things, but they are assumptions. And I didn't learn that until I started having seizures where life would be completely normal. And within 30 seconds, I'm lying on the floor, unable to breathe, and my heart doesn't work. And it's a very fine line between using that experience to remain a victim or to use that experience, that idea that I do not know if I have tomorrow, to use that as fuel and power. And I chose to use it as fuel and power. And it has become the greatest fuel I could ever know because you then realize this moment right now Number one is the only moment that you are actually in. Your mind might be scattered, but your body is only right here. So this moment right now is the only one that exists. Therefore, it is the only one that is important enough for you to give your attention to. Because then the next moment will come and it will be a different one. And the next and the next. So what this idea of, you know, I don't have tomorrow promised to me. This gave me the power to start to understand and explore what it means to be present. I had read for years, be here now, be present, focus on the moment. And all of these things were metaphors to me. I didn't know what they felt like. I didn't know how to get them. I knew I wanted them, um, but it wasn't until I realized I don't know if I'm here in 10 minutes. So how much more can I notice about this moment? How much more can I show up? How can I be my best self in this particular moment? And if it all goes away tomorrow, will I be happy with who I loved and how I showed up today? And that felt powerful to me. It felt encouraging even though I see how it could be very scary to people. Mm -hmm. It's also about your mindset. Someone who's listening to this and everyone who's listening to this, I would highly encourage you just take some time by yourself and ask yourself this question. And if you are on the camp that you want to improve your life, you want to increase your potential, whether it's in sports, in some kind of athletic activities, or just being a better father or a better mother or anything, ask yourself this question. And then I want you to adopt the mindset that, hey, I want to learn something better from this and then use it as a fuel, just like Lisa said. Because at the end of the day, we're all, we're all going through a lot of things. Some people are going through less, some people are going through more, but it's just your approach and the lens from which you see that situation. That is the key to it all. Now, Lisa, you've... Um, We've been spoke, speaking about this um, 
before the recording started, but I wanted everyone to know that I am right now on a vacation. I've been on vacation for almost three weeks now. And this specific vacation of mine has been postponed almost three times over the period of last three months. I was happy that um, it first came up, the idea, and then it kept getting canceled for some reason or the other. And every time it got canceled, I became very upset. Now, someone listening to this would think that, yeah, of course, it's normal to be upset. But now let's take this whole scenario into consideration. When I'm on vacation or if anyone is on their vacation, they feel very happy. Now, and what happens is you give yourself permission to do a lot of things. You're lighter on yourself on vacation. You kind of let go of things and you feel your best. But what has happened is you yourself hasn't changed. The fact that there is a component of a vacation, which is letting you leave your current environment is mm -hmm. making you very happy. But Lisa, according to you, why do we, why are we not happy in our regular lives? Like why mm -hmm. can't, why can't every day be a vacation for us? Uh, I think because we forget that that is just a frame of mind. So, you know, um, everything in life is like a lens. Imagine that today you have on your glasses and the lenses of those glasses are your everyday lenses. You are going to experience life in a lot of automated ways. Your everyday expectations. I wake up, I eat food, I go to work, I, you know, I have some social interactions. And a lot of those things are happening just like they happened before. That's your everyday lens. But then all of a sudden, someone gives you a new pair of glasses. These are your vacation glasses. And the lenses in those say, you are allowed for 12 days to turn off your to-do lists. And you are allowed now to laugh a little more, to um, have different kinds of social interactions. You're allowed to do things for these 12 days that you don't allow yourself to do every day. Those are your vacation lenses. But truly, nothing has changed except for your frame of mind. But you stand differently. You move differently. You experience each other differently. And all of that difference came from your mindset switch. Just like if I told you while you were on vacation, hey, there's been an emergency at home. That would be like you switching your glasses to now, uh-oh, emergency. And you would physically feel different. You would probably make different choices. You would behave differently. And there'd be different priorities on your mind. All of life is a changing set of lenses. We're the ones who create those lenses. So here's a little uh, activity for all of you to do, which... I literally do this all the time. There are times where my work is so stressful and I know I have a two hour break. I will literally say to myself, I'm on vacation for the next two hours and my whole body changes. What I choose to do in those two hours is very different than if I were to say, I have two hours to do my admin work, or I have a two-hour break in my work schedule. Every lens we have 
changes how we show up. And you're the one who picks the lenses. And there are lenses you might not even know you're using. That's the tricky part. And so that's where giving yourself some permission to try on your vacation lenses, to try on your weekend lenses, helps you start to see, oh, I actually do behave differently. I wonder what other lenses you have. And you can start becoming more and more aware of these lenses. Right now, one of your lenses is listener because you're mm-hmm. listening to this podcast. And, um, you know, CJ, right now, one of your lenses is interviewer. And that's very different than if you aren't talking on the phone with your friend. You're going to have different protocols. And so we're in these lenses all the time and they change from who you are in your home to who you are in the store to who you are at work. And we're the ones in control of all of them. So everyone, I hope you've been taking notes because this is really powerful stuff. Now, Lisa, when you're at the office and you want to switch from admin to vacation mode, is there any physical pieces of things that you're using as well to change that? Like, are you, um, are you having a tea or are you associating um, having on this vacation mode by putting on a hat? I don't know, but is yeah, there? Yeah, actually there, there are changes in my physiology. So one of the things I do very often is I use my body to shake like a shaking exercise, 30 seconds of shaking my whole body. You, you might've heard the expression, shake it off. Mm-hmm. Well, this is actually a neurobiological need of your body. So when we're in the stress, whether that's positive or negative stress of action and doing and working, um, we're going to have arousal in the body. There's a, there's a little bit of adrenaline and norepinephrine flowing to help us produce and focus. Now, Um, If that remains in the body, or if my muscles remain contracted, which is what they will be doing when I am in producing working mode, um, they will send feedback signals back to the brain and the brain will perceive that I'm still working and focusing and needing to be active until I soften my muscles. So one of the easiest ways to have a moment of exhale, which allows for you then to choose a different lens or mindset, is to physically shake your body. So for me, if I see a break at work coming up, after a client or after some work, I will take 30 seconds to shake my whole body and use that as the start of my vacation mode or the start of my you know, gardening mode, whatever the lens is I'm choosing to use. And that shaking is almost like if you were wine tasting, you would eat crackers and drink water between the next, between the glasses of wine to clean your palate. It's like resetting your nervous system palate so that you can choose a different lens. So I absolutely shake. And then I will as much as possible change my location. So if I'm sitting at a desk, I'm going to walk away from that desk. If I'm inside and the weather is nice, I will go outside. If I'm at the office, I will go out of my um, client practice room and into the teaching room so that I have a different environment. 
changing your physicality is equally as powerful as changing the mindset, but they actually both support each other. So it's, it's a great question you asked. You can use a particular song as the, as the exit from admin space and the entrance into relaxation mm-hmm. space. You I can like that. use a favorite scent. You might like essential oils and it's like, oh, the, the, the vacation moment's about to start. I'm going to smell the lavender oil or I'm going to play this particular song. All of these things can work themselves into the transition and then they become ways to quickly get there. Imagine this. Imagine every day this week, even if it was 10 minutes of you declaring these 10 minutes are me on vacation. And every time you did that, you smelled a particular essential oil or you played a particular song. Then next week, when you smelled that oil or played that song, even while you were working, you might automatically start to exhale and feel your vacation mind coming up. This is kind of the way the mind likes to associate things together. And you can help yourself get quicker and faster and more efficiently towards a new mindset if you use your physical world to assist with that. Thank you for sharing that, Lisa. This is a pretty neat biohack for everyone who's listening. And the best of it all, you can do it anywhere, anytime, and it's free. You don't have to hook yourself with complicated machines and you don't have to ingest different supplements to do this. It is pretty simple. It is pretty effective. I encourage everyone to try it. Now, Lisa, as you were as you were mentioning about the shaking part, it also reminds me of the animal world. Now, when you look at these different animals, specifically zebras, now when zebras have been chased by a predator or they go in through an extreme stressful situation when their fight or flight mode is continuously on, what they would often do is to get themselves to shake they would go into a tremor mode and what happens is as soon as they get out of it would be around 30 seconds as soon as they get out of this tremor or shaking automatically their nervous system returns back to baseline and this has been observed in the animal kingdom for a very long time and also this has been the basis of a lot of therapies that are now being named tremor therapy where you can get yourself to shake, like you mentioned. And also, while you mentioned that you also change your physical location. Now, I want everyone to also know that this is also powerful stuff, guys, because your location also has a certain kind of an energy frequency. Now, if you're like Lisa was on her desk, that desk can be full of electronics that could radiate a different kind of energetic field in the form of EMF, or just the work by itself has if you have a if you have like unfinished work on your table that work will also get you into the mode where you're completely focused or either you're stressed or either you're nervous so changing your location will also change your energy and i love lisa that you could share that with us because mm-hmm. i'm completely with you on that one now let's i mean yeah go on 
I was just going to say something about the location. You know that your office feels very different than your kitchen, which feels very different than your bedroom. All of those come with different lenses, different permissions to behave in different ways. So in addition to things like electronics and and all of that, there are your built-in associations with what you do in those locations. In fact, location is one of the strongest links to memory. So uh, the ancient Greeks, when they were doing their memory cathedral practice, which was how they could memorize entire, you know, 10,000 page books, mm-hmm. um, they, they were using location as a memory device. So that means you could probably close your eyes right now and detail out everything that's in your room. In fact, you could probably detail out everything that's in every room of your home. Location has a very large map in the brain, and it's very um, involved in memory. So when you walk into your office, you can be subconsciously flooded with all of the associations. And generally, for me, that's work, stress, clients with a lot of trauma, organizational mind, that is not easy to switch out of. So what's easy is me walking out of that room and using other locations in my world to help me shift my mindset. And then going back to what you said about the zebras, neurogenic tremoring is a mammalian gift. It is a mammalian regulation tool. Animals have not forgotten that, but humans have. And if you allow your body to do the neurogenic tremoring, to do the shaking, your primitive nervous system and your midbrain nervous system gets a chance to regulate. Your muscles get a chance to soften. Your digestion gets better. Your heart rate regulates. Everything is supported through neurogenic tremoring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of... um just shaking it off and sometimes you also start feeling uh, i've tried the shaking exercises before and after about the 20 second mark you also feel some kind of a euphoria that just goes in whether it is a surge of dopamine going into your system or elevated serotonin levels but you just start feeling so happy and light that that energy is finally moving out of your Mm -hmm. system now you spoke about the nervous system so let's take a dive into it our autonomic nervous system. Tell us about that. And then tell us about the limbic system and the Mm -hmm. prefrontal cortex. Yeah. Imagine, um, you know, when you're growing as a baby in utero, um, your spine is growing and elongating, and then comes the base of the brain developing. And then from there, the midbrain develops. And then from there, we blossom out into the outer cortex, the prefrontal cortex, the neocortex, almost like a flower would grow up from a stem to a bulb and then to open. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of the pathway we take. During that time, our autonomic nervous system and our limbic system is developing. They are two systems that partner and speak to each other. Their job together is to help the body adapt to the needs of the environment by either relaxing us or arousing us. 
That's kind of what they do. And they also interpret the information from the environment through our senses, our skin, our muscle, our bones, and help the brain switch and adapt into proper response. So if the outside world is asking me to get up and go, my heart has to increase its its um, its contractions so I have more rapid fuel to the muscles. So if the world needs me to go, I have to change my physiology to do that. If the world is predictable, comfortable, and I don't have to go anywhere, all I have to do is eat and rest, my body needs to dial its response down so I can do those things. So that's what the autonomic and the uh, limbic system is designed for. Now, what it gets information from also is our perceptions. And this is where it gets tricky. If we think we are in stress or needing to go and arouse and flee or fight or to shut down, the nervous system will listen and respond. So more often, we are using and playing our nervous system into extreme responses, not because the environment actually is demanding it. It's because our thoughts are creating that. Our um, memory of a stressful event, our inability to um, resolve a conversation that we had last week. And the mind goes over and over these things, sending more and more signals of threat. Now, the autonomic nervous system that lives in the brainstem, and that is going to very primitively control everything that's automatic heartbeat, breathing, digestion, those things. And then it partners with a structure above it, the midbrain, which has a bunch of structures in it. And that's really the home of the limbic system. And that is how I mobilize and arouse. So we've got brainstem saying organs need to shift to respond to the world. And then we have a more oxygenated limbic system that says, and to do that best, I may need to run or punch or fight. Or if it's all too much, I may go back to just letting the brainstem shut everything down and I will freeze and contract and exit and completely lose consciousness. So they partner and they speak. And those things are really responding to the predictions we have about the world. But then we have the very front of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, which is not nearly as fast as brainstem and midbrain. Uh, brainstem has to be faster than anything because it is sending automatic signals that mm -hmm. we don't need to think about. Depends front on the, of the brain, right? So front of the brain is a lot slower. It's very complicated. It is processing human social information. It's processing things like, I'd like to set goals that don't exist. And I'd like to hold these imaginary thoughts in my mind and then change my behavior to meet them. I like to compute math and understand language. I want to think about what you might be feeling. I wonder what someone else's experience of life is. So all the things that we think of when we say we're evolved humans compassion, forgiveness, empathy, problem solving, 
organizational mind, executive mind, these things are front of the brain driven. And these things take a long time to learn. They take a long time to automate, but they have the power to keep the midbrain in check. And the midbrain has the power to quiet the front of the brain. They are like two ends of one spectrum. Like uh, in in the U.S., we have these toys called a seesaw in playgrounds, right? Where Mm -hmm. one person sits on one side and the other side goes down and up, you know, and okay, the midbrain and the front of the brain sometimes work like that. When we are midbrain stressed, we are going to quiet the front of the brain's capacity to serve us. And And when we have a surge of activity in the front of the brain, like problem solving and awe and wonder and compassion and, and forgiveness, we're going to quiet our defensive limbic self. So these things speak at inverse relationships to each other, like two ends of scales, and we can use them to balance each other. When we are stressed, we are generally going to be midbrain dominant, which means we're not going to be good at forgiving people. We're not going to be good at patience. We're not going to be good at self-reflection when we're stressed because we're midbrain dominant. And if we're frontal brain dominant in the moment, it's going to be easier to forgive people and to let stress just roll off your back and to not take things so personally. And so these things balance each other out and understanding, well, understanding that neurogenic tremoring can quiet your midbrain means that you can then get back to your frontal brain human social self. So it's very real that neurogenic tremoring can help you access the parts of you that are better at things like problem solving and patience and forgiveness Uh, and motivation and goal setting. And it's also very real that stress will make it harder for you to get to those places. So I love understanding this dynamic because when my mind won't switch, I can use my body to help it do so. And it makes it easier to change your mindset. Now, I would completely agree with you that most of the times it is not the stress itself, but it's our perception of the stress. Now, to give the audience a clear idea would be a really stressful situation in your life would be maybe a few hundred years ago when you see a lion in front of you. And this is a huge amount of stress. And as Lisa mentioned, this stress elicits a fear response in which you would either fight the situation, well, now you cannot fight a lion, but you can run away from it. And what you need to run away from the lion is this response in your midbrain and your limbic brain, which activates, let's say it sends more oxygen to your um, to your blood. It rushes um, any blood that is involved in digestion or anything that's not useful to the end of your limb so you can run faster, jump higher, and... It is fast and reacting, so you would shut off almost everything that is not useful right now. What happens these days is that when you're stuck in traffic or when someone just, um, you know, your boss tells you something or you're, you have an exam, you are also tapping into that primitive 
fight or flight response. And when this happens acutely, it's okay because you can rebound back to just having you know a stress-free day once the stress goes away. But if you get stuck in that fight or flight mode, then this situation becomes chronic. And this is what I personally see, Lisa, I don't know about you, but I personally see people being more sympathetic nervous system dominant. That means they probably think everything is out there to get them, their lives, everyone's targeting them. And when I speak to people, they, in in a way, funnily, I have realized that people sometimes like being stressed. Now, if you're listening, you're thinking, why would someone like to be stressed? But stress by itself, like we mentioned before, gives you that kind of a boost in cortisol, mm-hmm. which also upregulates your blood sugar. And what happens when you upregulate blood sugar and cortisol at the same time is that you get energy. So mm-hmm. people like to be in an energized mode throughout the day. Now, you could think of people drinking lots of coffee or just stressing about what's going to be happening next. And that makes them addicted. I don't know, Lisa, what's your take on this? Do you mm-hmm. feel, find people being addicted to their stress most of the times? I do. I really do. Here's why. I mean, everything you said and um, a few other thoughts, you know, stress is the most life-affirming experience we have. It is the basis of living, right? If we didn't mm-hmm. have a stress response none of us would be here today. So stress by itself is the most life-affirming thing you can experience. It's the motivation to protect yourself. It is the very definition of this is valuable. My life is valuable, right? So on a very primitive level, stress is life-affirming. It also comes with a buzz of energy, like you said, which makes us feel alive, which again, which can then help us want to seek more opportunities to feel alive. And then, because that is a life-affirming response, the brain is saying, wow, you engage in this often and it's life-affirming. Therefore, I'm going to help you engage with it easier, more frequently. I will make it easier for you to experience stress so that you can keep doing the thing that you were doing. The brain wants wants you to be efficient, and the brain's job is to make the things you do most easier for you to do by automating them. So the more you involve yourself in stress response, whether it's arousal or even shutdown, and the more you use that to navigate your life, the easier it's going to be for your body to do that. So it does take energy and conscious intervention to break that cycle. But because the brain is neuroplastic, we can absolutely break that cycle. It takes daily practice. And then neuroplasticity, meaning your brain's ability to change and adapt, it will start to adapt to the way you break the cycle of stress versus adapting to the way you continue to use your cycle of stress. And all of this depends upon where you focus your attention. Do you focus your attention, your physiology, and your practices to stress repetition? Or do you put the energy into the system and focus your attention on adapting 
the efficiency of your stress patterns and your body will respond. And that's where it goes back to us having more control than we think we have. So just expanding on the same thought, what would be some of the tips or tricks that the audience can take away today? Let's say someone who's listening is stuck into the limbic system and they are Mm -hmm. constantly thinking about what is, as you said, they're constantly investing their energy upon what is probably not going right. And Mm -hmm. someone who is looking at the negative side of things and someone who is just not just not engaging in that relaxed uh, prefrontal cortex. Is there some tricks to just zap into the prefrontal cortex from the limbic system? Yes, there are a bunch of them. One of them is to, when you're deep in stressful thoughts, to bring to mind something bizarre, unusual, funny, or awe and wonder inspiring. So for instance, if you have, you know, um, if you're in a stress-based thought, you're in your work mode and you just take a 30 second pause and you say to yourself things like, I wonder what it would be like if I could go outside and the sky was purple and the trees were blue and the grass was white. And you take a moment to think about that completely unrealistic experience. You will be using your prefrontal cortex to imagine the unimaginable. That's what it's good for. So you can kind of induce little prefrontal moments by doing bizarre things or having bizarre thoughts throughout the day that are safe or humorous. Um, There's a list of these prefrontal activities in the Neurosculpting book. Another thing you can do is to shake um, Mm -hmm. because that will quiet the uh, arousal stress response. Then there's breathing. If you are a kind of stress person who gets aroused and your heart rate goes up, then throughout the day, you can focus on long, slow exhales and you can start dialing down that stress response. If you're a person whose response to stress in the moment is, I shut down, I freeze, I can no longer think clearly and I get immobilized, then you focus on long, deep inhales because different parts of the breath change the heart rate. Mm -hmm. So you can do those things. And then finally, most of us don't even know we're in these negative thought patterns. So there's an exercise in the Neurosculpting book, but you can do that without the book. You can list the times throughout the day you you have thoughts that start with, If only they could, dot, dot, dot. I wish things were different because, dot, dot, dot. I'm so mad at, dot, dot, dot. You start listing thoughts that that are phrased in a negative way. And you start realizing, once you see it on paper, wow, I have 10 negative thoughts about the world before lunch. So sometimes we have to first become aware that we're even in a negative bias cycle. And that is difficult for a lot of people. So that's why in the book, there are those sections, those activities, because it helps you put on paper and it helps you see as though you are an observer, the nature of your thoughts. And that's when people get to realize, 
I spend 80% of my day repeating negative thought patterns. And we know that 60,000, I mean, almost 80% of the thoughts that we're thinking are also repeated. So if you're repeating all those negative thoughts, guys, chances are like most of your thoughts are always going to be negative. Now, Lisa, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. I hope everyone's been taking some notes. If you're driving, please don't take notes. Listen to this later. And then... (laughs) And then try, um, get Lisa's book, the book. I've read the book. It's fantastic. It's powerful. It's got a lot of ideas. And throughout the book, Lisa guides us through these different practices that you need a journal for. And like she mentioned, it brings so much more awareness to whatever thing was hiding behind your mind because you never thought it was real. But Lisa, you have done a great job doing that. Now, if someone wants to find you um, and your neurosculpting work, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, they can go to neurosculpting.com. And we have a fantastic beginner dive into neurosculpting course um, in our uh, learning Uh, portion of the website and it will give you the neurophysiology basics. It will give you the practices, the meditations, the worksheets. So that's a great place to start. You can also find me on social media. Instagram is at Neurosculpting. Um, Facebook is Neurosculpting Institute. And those are great ways to connect as well. And we also have a new digital app. It's called Neuropraxis. Mm-hmm. And um, it is an app of curated neurosculpting meditations specific to helping people who are in chronic stress inflammation or acute stress inflammation, specifically for those dealing with things like Lyme, mold, uh, you know, fibromyalgia, mm-hmm. things that really affect the body. This app is really good to help support people through that. So those are all the different ways that you can find me. Amazing. I didn't know about the app. I'm just going to download it after that. And uh, Lisa, we've come to the end of the show, but I want to ask you one last question. It's that if you were to look back into your life, let's say rewind 30 years, like let's say between when you were like 20 and 30, what would be that one piece of information or advice that you would look back and give to your younger self? Oh, I would tell her to be patient because um, anything worth experiencing comes with time, focus, and repetition. Thank you. That's about it. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I really appreciate the work you've been doing, all your books. You constantly provide us with new information, things that we have never thought about. Thank you for doing what you do. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. It was great to speak with you. It was likewise. It was great to speak with you. And this is CJ signing off from the Shift with CJ podcast. Everyone have a great week ahead of you. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website, www.shiftwithcj.com.